0: Sherwood, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I've heard about you for so many years, and uh, I know your address is Albany, but your influence is worldwide. And uh, perhaps many people have told you that before, and it goes right over your head, you don't think twice about it, but I want you to know it really is. People know what God has done here, and you uh, from Albany, Georgia, have blessed pastors throughout the world. And I can say that with a personal experience. I was in Cuba just a few years ago, and I was uh, uh, there with the guy who was over all the national printing for Christian material, and he says, uh, tell me, Pastor, uh, do, you co- do you write books? And I went, no, I, I really don't write books. I, I read some, but I don't write. And he says, if you do, we copyright. And I was like, uh, you copyright? And he goes, yes, you write, we copy. <laughs> and uh, And he said, see what I mean? And I looked over at the printer and it was just chugging. And you know, you you can only guess whose book they were copying. It was Michael Katz's book. And they were copying it, passing it out to all the pastors in Cuba. And uh, so I just want to say thank you for your influence and thank you for sharing your pastor with North America and the world. I, because of my responsibilities, I, I travel from Maine to New Mexico to New York to California. I know you already know this, but you are absolutely blessed with one of the finest pastors in all of North America. You really are. And what I appreciate so much about Michael is Michael talks better about you even than when when, uh, when he's away from here than when he's here. And you can tell he, he loves you and genuine and transparent. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Uh, but that's what I've respected about him for so many, many years. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, a passage you may have heard about before. And walk through before, but as you turn there, if it's okay, it just relaxes me a little bit. If I can give you a little bit of my context, or kind of tell you about my family, just real fast, I promise, all right? I want to throw up a picture. I wasn't able to bring them all with me, but I'll throw up a picture and just walk you through them real fast. This is my wife, Lynette. We've been married for 33 years and about two weeks, and then we have six kids. Our oldest two daughters are in the middle. They have husbands. We'll not mention them, and uh, but <laughs> Both my daughters uh, have one has two children, one has three. And then our oldest son is in the back right. He's, in, uh, he's a senior in college out in California. And then uh, God blessed us with six kids, uh, three by birth and three that, that God blessed us through adoption. And our second phase of children, if you will, really started with uh, Libby. She's from China in the back right there. They found uh, Libby in a shoebox outside of a police station. And we were able to adopt her when she's one. She's now 17. And uh, she's an angel on this earth. She's a, really a sweetheart. And then the second child, God bless us through adoption, would, was uh, Micah Lynn. She's uh, uh, mid to the left there. She's from Ethiopia. And we adopted her when she's three. And she's now 14. And uh, she's something else. Uh, have you ever watched Sanford and Son? You ever watched that show? All right. We adopted Aunt Esther. All right. <laughs> and so... <laughs> She basically, when we moved to Atlanta, she went to our neighbor's house and put her hand on her hip, and she says, you people have issues. And uh, they're like, do what? She says, your house is a mess. You have issues. So we had to set her down like, look, sweetheart, we're trying to, ha- we're trying to make friends here, and you're not helping, all right? So please. <laughs> and then uh, God blessed us uh, with J.M., John Michael, the back left there. He's from the Philippines. We adopted J.M. when he was 12, and he's now 19, a freshman in college and so it's real funny when people see us walk into a restaurant we have six kids from four different countries you know and so like how did that happen or or when i'm in the south people typically go well bless your heart i know what they mean that means better you than me that's what that means and i think there's no need to bless my heart i'm just very competitive and what i mean is look at us six kids from four different countries When we watch the Olympics, we win, all right? We really do. I want to share just a real quick story about JM. You go ahead and take the picture off if you would. I have attention disorder. It's very challenging for me. But uh, uh, JM, we went to pick him up in the Philippines as I said he was 12, but they did teach him English. And that was very helpful as we began to communicate. The other two children, we did not. uh, They did not know English, obviously, being one and three. And, uh, but J.M., we picked him up, um, they said, be very careful with him when you take him back to the hotel, because he's not used to some of the same luxuries you're used to. You see, they found J.M. Uh, wandering the streets when he was five years old, sleeping in the back of a pickup truck, trying to find plastic bottles, and they took him, put him in the orphanage at five, and, and then we, we got him at 12, seven years later. So all he's known, basically, is that orphanage. They said, be very careful, he's not used to some of the luxuries you're used to, and I went... Luxuries, you've got us confused. What do you what do you what do you mean? And he said, Well, no hot water. He's not used to uh, water, so be, be very careful with him when he takes you know, shower and all. You're just gonna have to walk him through all that because basically, what they had there was sink baths. Um, they uh, in the orphanage, there was hot water in the Philippines. I realized that he's from Manila, but not in this orphanage, and so just be careful. Something to be mindful of. So, we go back to the hotel. You can only imagine he's 12 years old, first night in a hotel, and I'm letting him bounce on the bed and doing all the things you do in a hotel when you've never been to one. And uh, it came time for bath time, and I said, hey, J.M., come here, man. I want to show you something. And so we go into the, the bathroom, and I said, hey, watch this. And I turned on the water lukewarm, and I said, hey, man, let me have your, let me have your hand. And he gave me his hand, and I put his hand underneath that lukewarm water. And I said, now, watch this. And I just gradually, gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he began to fill hot water for the very first time. I'll never forget the look in those big, bright Filipino eyes. He says, that is wonderful. <laughs> I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. He yeah, said, so now, now, you. Uh, I'm going to go in there. You take off your clothes and hop in the shower. And he said, shower? What's a shower? Well, I wasn't thinking. You know, again... Um, they didn't have a shower, so why would he know? And in translation, some things I had to explain to him a shower. Have you ever explained a shower to somebody? It's not that easy, you know. Like it's water from heaven. You're gonna love it. <laughs> you know, it's some things you just don't think about. It's like the first time I took him out to eat. The first time we went out to eat at a restaurant, I said, "Hey, I'll order for you, buddy," because he couldn't figure out what he wanted. There's too many options, and I said, uh, "Just bring him some chicken fingers." <laughs> He's like, no, I not eat chicken fingers. No, I not eat chicken. I said, no, son, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He said, well, why do they call them that? I'm like, I don't really know. Just dip them in barbecue sauce and eat them. You can only imagine the first time we had buffalo wings. You know what I mean? It's just constant issues at my house. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget when he came back out of that shower smelling good, all shriveled up about 20, 30 minutes later and, and said, that was wonderful. You know what's interesting? It's still today, seven years later, freshman in college, he has been home for the, the break. He still, when he takes a shower, sings sinks to the top of his lungs, happy because you know what? He remembers what it's like not to have hot water problem is we're basically pretty spoiled people we, we really are spoiled we get used to certain things when we just assume they're just they're just luxuries you can say uh, brother ken right Brother ken, um i picked you not because you're on staff because you look like the cleanest one in this section all right <laughs> <laughs> brother ken let me, let me, let me be, be straight with me all right i'm just asking you a straight up question just be honest and tell me um uh You you taken a shower in the last three days or so? All right, all right. Now, brother Ken, tell me when you took a shower, did you like yes, hot water? Did you say that? You didn't say it. You see, folks, Ken, brother Ken, he's what's wrong with America. (laughs) (laughs) We figured it out. It's right here. No, no. What I mean is, he didn't, I didn't, you didn't. We don't think twice about some things because we just get so used to them. We assume they're going to be there. And the same thing is true with churches, as Brother Michael has told you before. At the North American Mission, where we we come alongside churches to plant churches, and often people think, well, do we really need more churches? Seems like we've got a lot of churches. Is it really? You know, it's because, much like hot water, we get so used to it because we have it. Uh, We don't understand that not everybody has the things that we're so, you know, today you're not worried about if you're going to have lunch, you just, but what you're going to have for lunch. That's not the case all over the world. It's not the case when it comes to churches. Let me give you an example just real quick. In Mississippi, did you know that there is one Southern Baptist church in Mississippi for every 1,394 people in Mississippi? It's the most churched state in all of North America. And now, missiologists say you need one church for every at least 2,000 people. And we wish every state was like that, but the fact is, it's not. Now, you say, well, what about Georgia? I knew you'd ask. In Georgia, there's one for every 2,800. So still a need in some areas, uh, but you get the, the ratio, all right? It's, uh, there's twice as many on ratio-wise in Mississippi as there is in Georgia. But what's it like where in some places where you have actually helped plant churches, well, let's just say New York. In New York, it's one for every 51,000 people, and then you go to Canada, and in Canada, it's one for every 94,000 people. Did you know in Canada you can drive for three hours and not drive by another evangelical church? I mean, that's that's part of the problem. And the the part of the problem we have is the majority of the churches. In North America, especially the majority of Southern Baptist churches in North America, all in the South. They're primarily in the SEC and the ACC. It's the other conferences that are going to hell, and we have got to reach them. (laughs) But I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Sherwood, for your faithfulness and your commitment to plant churches in the past. But I want you to know we cannot get weary in doing good. There is much still to do. And we have to stay focused because there are people who desperately need Christ all over North America. Here in Georgia, but all over North America. Do you know where the largest, do you know where the the, the second largest grouping of Ethiopians are in the world? They're not in Ethiopia. Addis Ababa is the capital of Ethiopia. That's the largest, the second largest grouping it's D.C., Washington, D.C., hundreds of thousands. The world has come to us. You have an opportunity as we plant churches. I just want to encourage you. Thank you for what you have done, but please, please keep your hands on the plow. Keep looking forward. There is still much, much to do. And that's why I want us to look in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And you may have heard this story many times before, but I want to focus on some guys that typically get overlooked in this story for a reason and a purpose All right. so let's read starting in Mark chapter 2 let's begin in verse 1 when he had come back to Capernaum he being Jesus several days afterward it was heard that he was at home he was in the house and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room not even near the door and he was speaking the word to them now the context there is There were so many people packed into the place. They were crammed, packed in there. There was no more room, not even in the overflow. Overflow was overflowing. And so we get in verse 3, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they laid down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorified, God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Hey, would you say that last phrase with me again? Ready? Here we go. We... All right. Now you're excited. I can tell. All right. Let's try it again with a little bit of that Southern Georgia oomph in there. All right. You ready? We, we never, never seen. seen like this. That's right. We've never seen anything like this before. I, mean, I'm, I know uh, I don't know what kind of fans you guys are primarily here. I can only guess. I'm a Kentucky fan. I want to confess it right up front. All right. And uh, this phrase means a lot to me because it's what we typically would say after every touchdown. We've never seen anything (laughs) like this before. But, you know, that's what they left there saying. What this, we've not seen anything like this before. I want us to rewind this story a little bit and walk through it and apply it exactly to where we are. First of all, you have to understand who wrote this. Mark did. Mark wrote this, and the unique thing about Mark, if you want to look at the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you never go to Mark for details. Mark doesn't do details, all right? He's the type of, you know, he, it's like taking a rock and skipping it across a, a pond or a lake And and he just tells you the main points. If you want details, you got to go to John or or Dr. Luke or Matthew or throw in some. But never Mark. And I really do believe the reason I like Mark so much, I'm convinced Mark has an attention disorder. All right? Because he'll do five, six verses, maybe ten, then boom, he switches the subject. Something totally different. He doesn't transition, just boom. And that's why as you read through here, you need to understand, he doesn't do details. And again, I like that because that's the way I tend to be. My wife gets so frustrated with me. She'll say, hey, did so-and-so have a baby? And I'll say, yeah, they had a baby. Oh, what'd they name it? Um, it is a baby. All right, it's a baby. <laughs> How much it? weigh? Oh, I don't know. It was a baby. All right. I was in Montana the other day, and I'm so easily distracted. I was preaching. I'm so thankful there's no windows in here. And I was, I was preaching. There was windows on both sides of this auditorium, and it was so distracting. I'd be trying to, to, to preach, and there'd be, there goes a bird. You know, I was just so <laughs> easily distracted. And that's somewhat how Mark is, all right? So you've got to remember that now as you read through this. Mark does the general things, not the details. It doesn't mean the details aren't there. It just means he didn't include them, all right? So let's let's go back, rewind, 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 and what happens? Mark says, first of all, Jesus is in the house. He's in the house. The place is packed. And rightfully so, the place is packed, and he's preaching the what? The word to them. But meanwhile, on the other side of town, there's at least one guy, at least one we know, had an idea. I've heard what Jesus has done in other towns and other cities, and I heard the difference he makes in people's lives. He heals people. I know my friend. I got a friend, and I'm sure he called him by name. Mark doesn't because he doesn't do details, but this, I'm sure this guy says, you know, my friend, a paralytic, you know, if we were to get him to Jesus, Jesus could change his life could heal him. And from that point on, his life would be completely transformed. But we're going to have to get him to Jesus. And so we know, based on what Mark says, that at least four of them, he asked some other guys, hey, would you help me? Would you help me? You you in? You in? All right. Let's all meet at a certain time. They obviously met at a certain time, certain place, and went and they picked him up. We know that because Mark says there came he became carried by at least four men. So they meet a certain place, they go out of their way, inconvenienced, and they go pick him up, carry him, and then what happens? Mark says they get there, and the place is packed. There's no seats for anyone. Now, I get the biggest kick out of this because, again, Mark says they get there, the place is packed, so they put him on the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, they lower him down to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. Mark acts like this happens every Sunday, all right? It's like song, song, special music, dig, hole in roof, sermon. You know what I mean? This is not... No, 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 no. Back, 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 back. To had some things had to happen to get to that point. So let's just walk our way through. They they get there, the place is packed. I'm sure they looked in and like, my word, look. Man, what... This is incredible. I know those people. They're not giving up their seats. Now... My degree was in psychology, and they always told us that that one out of every four people tend to be negative. Okay? Don't don't point. All right? Don't point. It's not necessary. But But one out of four people tend to be negative. I mean, somewhat like an Eeyore. You know what I mean? They just round down. Like, it's a sad day. You know, that type of thing. I'm sure one of these four guys... Statistics would tell us it probably was a, tend to be a little bit negative. I'm sure one guy was like, I knew this wasn't a good idea. Or, we, we should have come to the second service. You know, I mean, you can you can only imagine some of the talking that was going on there, you know. And they were trying to come up with different ideas of what should we do now? What's plan B? All of a sudden, Mark doesn't tell us the details here. But something like this had to happen. At least one of those guys had to come up with this idea. And I'm sure he said, Hey, 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 guys, I, I got an idea. Hey, now you're going to think I'm crazy, all right? But here's what we're going to do what we're going to do is we're going to take him and put him on the roof. I'm sure one of those guys probably said, but we've never done it that way here before, you know? We're going to put him on the roof. We're going to kind of guess what we think Jesus is. And we're going to dig a hole, a big hole. And we're going to lower him down to where Jesus is and boom, Jesus heal him. And so that's exactly what they do. I can't help but think that even the paralytic, when he heard plan B, he's like, are you kidding me if I've not got enough problems? No, no, chill, it's okay, trust us, we're just one step at a time here, let's get you to the roof. And so they got him up to the roof, they dug a hole, they lower him down to Jesus, Jesus heals him. People were ticked. Is that not the case? So often when God moves the most or in an incredible way, there are people who are upset about it. That's the case here. And in this case, it was the religious people. The scribes, they were sitting there, and this is what I always get a kick out of, they were thinking to themselves, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is doing this? And that's an unconventional way. And then Jesus knew what they were thinking. Boy, that's dangerous. He says, I know what you're thinking. Why are you thinking those things? Look, what does it matter to you? The most important thing you need to understand is I can forgive sins. I can forgive sins. That's eternal. This body is temporary. It's temporary. I'm going to heal him, but ultimately, you've got to remember, he healed him, but ultimately, the paralytic died. I'm going to do this temporarily so you can see I am who I say I am. I'm the son of God. But that I can forgive his sins, that's what's most important. You know, it's amazing sometimes we can get so distracted. It just a few people. I'm so thankful Jesus stayed on task. He addressed them, but he moved on. I used to, oh, it's so funny, when I pastored, I I did actually have a a job before I went to North American Mission Board. I pastored in in Louisville, Kentucky, and and, uh, we had a couple services like you do, and I had an overzealous usher, we'll say, all right? And uh, he came to me one day between the services. He says, pastor, pastor. I said, what? He said, we got a big problem. I said, oh, my word, what's wrong? He said, "Uh, don't look now, don't look now. But in the back left of the auditorium, there's a guy back there with a hat on. I said, you're kidding me? He says, no, it's a hat on. What do you want me to do about it? I was like, well, is it your hat? He says, no, sir. I said, well, then leave it alone. Serious, I'm standing here. We had the service, preached, we gave the invitation. You know what happened? The invitation? Who you know who the first person was walking down that aisle? Yeah, the guy with the hat on. I went down, met him, tears coming down his cheeks, looked in his eye, put my hand in his and said, Take your hat off. <laughs> I didn't say that. It didn't matter point sometimes we can easily get so easily distracted about things that just don't matter. I'm thankful Jesus didn't do that. He healed him. And then he told, you know what he told? He said, look, uh, he addressed those guys. And then he looked back to, to the one he just healed and says, hey, don't mind these fellows. Pick up your mat and go on home. The thing I get a kick out of it, that's the end of the story. Mark moves on, okay? And what I mean is, can you imagine what happened when he went home? He said, hey, pick up your mat and go on home. Picked up his mat. And you think he just walked in home and says, hey, what's for supper? No. They carried him out of there. Now he's walking back. My word, walking in there with the mat under his arm. Can you imagine the family celebration that went on? Like, what happened? I can only imagine it be something like what the blind man said when he was asked. How do you see? All I know is I once was blind and now I see. And the only difference was Jesus did it. Now what a beautiful thing when someone crippled becomes whole. It's a beautiful picture of spiritually speaking what happens when someone lost, separated from God in their sin, comes to know him and have eternal life Forever. The thing I want you to see, though, it's often overlooked. Are these four guys. And I say there's at least four. Did you kiss their name? I want you to make sure you know their names. All right? Did you kiss their names? Did you not? What, do you guys not have good Bibles here? What, you know kiss their names? Their names aren't in there. They're not in there. I love that. Now again, Mark doesn't do details. That's probably why he didn't put them in. I'm so glad they're not in there. Because we don't have their names. You just know what they did. You don't know their names, but you know their heart. What really was the beat of their heart. That's what I want you to see today. Look, if you own a business, you want these four guys working for you. If you're a coach, you want these four guys on your team. Why? Because what I appreciate most about these guys is they had an attitude of what? it takes. We're going to do whatever it takes. From when they got the idea, of, hey, I know a friend that does, look, if he can, his life can be changed if we can get him to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. That means go out of my way inconvenience. They could very easily say, but it's so much trouble. I mean, we normally go have to eat after the service. We have all the different friends. I'll have to sit. I mean, it's just inconvenient. No, they were Went out of their way to get him. They took him to where Jesus was, and then Jesus ultimately killed him. These guys, they didn't stop. They could have gotten there, saw the crowd, was packed, there's no parking spot. And this is why we know that these guys were not Baptist. Because the place was packed and they stayed. You know? A Baptist would have been out of there in a heartbeat. You know, we tried, let's go eat. You know? But no. They stayed and said, We're going to get this guy to Jesus. And I love the fact that they did whatever it takes. Listen, folks, that's what we have to do. We start a brand new year. I mean, God has called you to be on mission for Him. There's not one believer here too young, there's not one believer here too old. It's not about how much money you have or how much status you have. God has called every one of us to be on mission. That means in Albany, in Georgia, in North America, and around the world. And We have the opportunity today as never before to touch lives like we have never before. But you have to be very intentional. God called you for a purpose, and that is to be on mission for him. I mentioned earlier I was in Cuba Interesting thing in Cuba because they had a, such a heart to do whatever it takes to get the gospel around the world. And you're talking about people who cannot leave that country. And I was there when, when uh, uh, the leader was still uh, in power. I just went blank. Uh, Fidel Castro. Uh, when Castro was still in power and still living. And, and they, were, they were telling me all that God was doing. And you may not know this, but there is a church planning uh, revival taking place in Cuba. And it was amazing. And the reason that I was there, he exactly, said, Cuba, in that outside North America, there was a little lady named Annie Armstrong years ago that went around Cuba and purchased facilities. And you may not know this, but you own the majority of the Baptist churches in Cuba. You own them. And the reason I know that is because the deeds to those churches are in the safe at the North American Mission Board. Now there's a seminary in Cuba that trains pastors that you own. And the reason I know that is the deed is in our vault. Because a little lady named Annie Armstrong went around and purchased different facilities. One of the facilities she purchased was Calvary Baptist Church, which at the time was a theater in downtown Havana located next door to the Capitol. It's now Calvary Baptist Church. It's where they have the printing press that's printing all your books. And, and they really have the National Convention and all of that. It's just incredible but how God used her to impact, and, and we still have those deeds. We'd give them back to the pastors if they wanted them, but they were afraid to because they said Castro will take them away from us. And still today, they're, they're afraid that the government would take the, the uh, deeds away. So that's why we have them. But I asked the pastor, can you tell me, tell me what, what, what led to this? What led to such an incredible revival? He said, uh, it's very simple. Castro, when he took over, very mean leader, come out with so many rules. That's the best uh, I can do. I'm not very good at imitating. (laughs) And he said, he said, no more churches. No more churches. He said, what do you mean no more churches? No more churches. You can't build another church. You can't build another bathroom onto a church. Not one more inch of a church. No more. But you can meet in your homes. So they started meeting in their homes. Their homes weren't that large, but they would just cram people into those homes, much like this story in Mark 2. Cram them in there, so much so, Castro's idea was, look, we'll not let them build any more churches. These people will just evaporate, and they'll go away and leave us alone. But that's not what happened. They started meeting in their homes. They started multiplying and cramming people in there. And so he came out with an edict. He says, all right, no more, no more. 50. When you get to 50 people, that's a maximum. You can only have 50 people, no more than 50 people in a home. Once you get to 50, you have to go to another house and start another one. They're like, seriously? And so that's exactly what happened. Government regulation, they began to multiply. It so frustrated him, he came out with a new edict because he thought they would just evaporate And go away, but they began to multiply everywhere like rabbits. And so um, he says, No more than 30, no more than 30. Another government regulation, and they get to 30, and they had to multiply. And I'll never forget this Cuban pastor with tears streaming down his face. He says, God has started a church funding movement in Cuba, and he used a communist leader to do it. You know, that's the type of God that we serve. It just needs our availability and our obedience to do what we can't control certain things. But we can control what we do, our obedience to him. I've often told people, look, if God ever allows me to pastor again, again, I said this when Castro was living. I said, I'm going to make certain if I ever pastor again, I'll get Castro to be my minister of education. Because it would take a communist leader to get some small groups in Sunday school classes to multiply, you know what I mean? (laughs) God has called us to be faithful and obedient. J.M. took that shower and when it was time to go to bed, he did something I'll never forget. Again, just a little thing, 12 years old. I tucked him in bed, told him I loved him. We prayed. He gave me a really tight hug. He's still today, really tight hugger. Then he did something really awkward. He took his little hands and he pushed in on my cheeks like this, and just held them there. And I kind of panicked. I didn't know what to do. It's like, man, I should have listened during the orientation. You know, maybe. <laughs> This is a Filipino custom. You know, I'm supposed to do it back to him because he just kept looking at me. So I was like, hey, buddy. Well, what's up? Well, are you okay? And he pushed in a little harder. One of those big brown eyes, he said, I will be a good son for you. And I said, well, my heart did the same thing. You just, it's like, well, well, I'm going to be a good dad for you, I promise. You go to bed. He did, but 4 o'clock in the morning, boom, he was right here. It's <laughs> like, whoa. And he said, good morning, Dad. And I said, whoa, Jay. And in case you did not know, bad breath is universal, all right? It's bad breath. <laughs> I said, what's wrong? He goes, I'll be a good son for you today. And I said, well, well, Great. Once you go on back to bed, all right? <laughs> now, 4 o'clock, you think, 4 o'clock, my word, what's up? Did you know in the Philippines, they had all those kids, they get up at, got up at 4, they did chores from 4 to 5, had breakfast from 5 to 5.30, and they went to school at 6 every day. It was incredible. Ken, what time did you get up this morning? Uh, yeah, right, right. What time did you get up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problem with America, right there, all right? Listen, <laughs> I'm teasing with you, sort of but (laughs) that night same thing next morning same thing I'll be a good son for you that night finally I realized this is not good what he's trying to communicate to me is I'm going to do everything I can today to earn the right to continue to be your son so we had to sit down and tell him look you're part of our forever family forever family God placed you here for a purpose now we want you to be a good boy but you are gonna be in our family whether you're good or bad. We prefer good, but either way. <laughs> I couldn't help but think that night when we went to bed, I thought, you know, what would it be like if every believer had that same attitude, a desperation to please their father, not for our faith. We know we're saved by the grace of God, not of works lest any man should boast, but that every day, every day, it's about... Living our life to please Him and being on mission. I want us to bow our heads. (laughs) You know, God gives us a limited amount of time on this earth to do everything He wants us to accomplish. You know what the interesting thing is? God gives you enough time in every day to do everything He wants you to accomplish. The problem so often is we crowd it out with things that are unnecessary and not eternal It's a great time of the new year to think about, look, I want to do whatever it takes, and it may be necessary I eliminate some things from my life in order to be focused on the right things. I may need to eliminate some things from my budget to be focused on the right things. My hope and prayer that you do whatever it takes to be faithful so you can look into our Heavenly Father and say, I will be a good son for you. This year, I will be obedient to you. I'll be a good daughter for you this year, 100%. I want to be faithful to do whatever it takes to be obedient and faithful to you. Father, thank you for how you love us, you care for us, you know our names, you know what we're going through, you know our, our, Lord, you know all of our baggage, and you love us anyway. I thank you that you love us so much you sent Jesus to die on a cross, to shed His blood for our sins. And that gospel is the reason we do everything that we do. Father, thank you for how you loved us and how you made a way for us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. What we're going to have an invitation is, as you do on a regular basis today, if you do not know Christ in a personal way, you do not know for certain that you're going to heaven when you die, we want to invite you just to step out and, and come and take one of these ministers or counselors by the hand and let them pray for you and help you understand the very next step. It's that simple. God provided a way for you to know Him. You can know for certain that you're going to heaven when you die. You Maybe a believer today, and you're just kind of rope a doping through life, no intentionality. I want to encourage you today to make a commitment to be all he wants you to be.